What does it mean that God created us to be like Him? The answer is, well, everything. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we look at all the wonderful possibilities from being created in the image of God. So we are in episode two of this study that I'm calling In His Image. And this is a look at Genesis chapter one, and we'll get into Genesis chapter three, and we're going to talk about what it means and the implications of being made in the image of God. As I mentioned yesterday in our first episode, when we were going through Genesis, there was just a whole tangent that we could have gone down in Genesis one. And I chose not to go down that tangent at that point because I don't want to freak you all out how long this study would take. But it is an interesting uh, rabbit hole or an interesting study that we could take. And um, there's just a lot of random thoughts that I have about Genesis 1 and 3. And so I'm hoping to bring that together in this short little study. And so we really are just focusing on Genesis. We might get into some other scripture, but it really is Genesis uh, chapter 1. And it's the creation of mankind. And I just want to really briefly read this to you again. So let's just take a look at this. This is Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they, this is mankind, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made, created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Well, and I'll just stop right there. So a couple, let me just, just a couple observations here. First of all, we are made in the image of God. He did not, when he created all the rest of the animals, he did not create any other animal in the image of God, but he created us in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? Of course, philosophers have debated this for years and years and years. But what I believe this means is that we have a brain. We can understand what's happening to us. We can predict the future. We can you know, look into the future and make uh, judgments about what would happen if we did you know, a particular thing. We have the ability of free will, right? We can choose a left path or we can choose a right path. All the other animals in the kingdom pretty much respond to um, other outside stimulus other than their brain saying, hey, you have a choice here. You can either do this or you can do this um, to the extent that humans can. And so, for example, dogs, you know, man's best friend, they respond to uh, Pavlov did his experiments with dogs, right? And, And you give stimulus to a dog. You know, you give them treats if they do one type of behavior and you give them punishment if they do another type of behavior. And so we can train dogs very, very well to always respond depending upon what happens. You know, you click your dog clicker two times. and The dog is always going to do something. It has no choice but to do their they are. um they are pre-wired. They're almost like robotic, right? That that they have to follow the instincts that are that are given to them. And so when dogs do anything, they're responding or any you know all animals except for humans, they're responding to the outside stimulus that really does dictate how they're going to move forward. And because they are animals. But but mankind is not an animal like the rest of 
nature. We are special. We are made in the image of God, in His likeness. So we rule over every other plant, animal, fish, everything else in this world. We are the, you know, they like to say we're the top of the food chain. And um, that would be true too, because I guess, you know, we are, but but we're also top of the of the earth chain. We are the ones that were created in the image of God to rule over everything in this earth. We are special. We're created in man, we're created in God's image. In the image of God, he created us, male and female. So God does not need to be male or female because he is genderless because he is God. But when he created mankind, he created us, male and female, so that we could procreate and have progeny and increase and multiply. So, but then we're going to continue on, verse 28. And this is really the, 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 the whole point of this whole thing is I just want to delve into this. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this to me is the command of God to humankind that that he's called us to do. He blessed us and he said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So it's not like we're supposed to just be in one location, but we're supposed to Fill the whole entire earth and subdue the earth. That's a now these are these are cross-purpose commands from God. Because the more you fill the earth, the more people are on the earth, the more you're going to use resources, water, um, food, land, air, all of these different things that are in short or limited supply get used up by mankind the more that we fill the earth. And, and so if our food, like if, if we continue to grow and grow and grow, we have to figure out how to subdue the earth, which is to basically understand all the processes of the earth so that we can continue to grow. And so, for example, we have to understand how does water work? Where can we get water? If we move to a place that doesn't have water, how can we have water? Because human beings need about two gallons of water a day to survive. Now, I know when I was a civil engineer, we planned per household, I think 250 gallons of water per day per household is a planning mechanism. But if the average household is 3.5 or four people, let's say it's four people, um, that and you have two gallons per person, you can, you can actually get by, a household could get by with just eight gallons of people eight gallons of water per person. But we, you know, we flush toilets and we take showers and we cook food and all that. And when it's all said and done, it's about 250 gallons a day. And so at some point, at some level, humankind has to subdue the earth so that they can um, maintain, you know, life. But if you move to a community that's like, they're all on well water and everybody's drawing water out of that well, as the community grows, pretty soon the well is not able to replenish the water quick enough. And so you start dipping into the aquifer. That's actually what happens here in Vail. We have an aquifer that we are dipping water out of. 
And so when you purchase property and you make yourself part of the Vale Water Company, which is the one that we're part of, then you give up your water rights. You're no longer allowed to drill a well, but the Vale Water Company is allowed to drill a well. And so they were drilling wells and pulling water out so that the water table in our well was going down. And so Vale Water Company made an agreement with Tucson Water to purchase water from Tucson Water, which is how we get our water now. I know it sounds strange, but the Central Arizona Project Canal brings water down from the Salt River down here into Tucson. We put it down into these settling basins that replenish the aquifer. Tucson Water pulls the water out of the aquifer. They ship it to us. And that's how we get Central Arizona Project Canal water to our little Vail Water Company. We're required to do that as part of our agreement to become a water company. We, I mean, it's not me. I mean, I'm just, I'm part of it because I pay into it. And so, um, so that's how we get water and we don't use well water anymore. And except for emergencies, if for fire protection or whatever like that, then they're allowed to turn on the pumps and saturate our water system with water coming out of the wells. But other than that, pretty much we are we are not using well water as of about, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Our water used to be really tasty and because uh, it was all well water, very, very low chlorination. But now we get it from the city of Tucson, which way over chlorinates the water. And so you probably don't even notice it, but we have a much more chlorinated water system anyway. The reason why I'm going into that is because we have to learn how to subdue. We have to learn all these processes to subdue the earth so that mankind can grow. And that's part of God's commission to us, right? He says, be fruitful and multiply and increase the number. But then he says, but in order to do that, you're going to have to learn how to subdue the earth. You're going to have to rule over the earth. You have to understand the earth. You have to subdue the earth. And so when it comes to food production or water or shelter or living together in big cities or in you know rural counties or whatever, we have to learn. We have to learn all the processes of mankind to subdue the earth. And the only way that we're going to be able to be fruitful and multiply is if we subdue the earth. And why do we need to be fruitful and multiply? This is the question. It's kind of at the heart of kind of what I want to talk about here is that the, the one thing that, that humans get to do is they get to be fruitful and multiply. They get to have children. You know, a male and a female come together. They procreate. They have children. And because they have children, unlike the rest of the animal kingdom, the rest of the animal kingdom, you know, has children, you know, and, uh, you know, nourishes and brings them to adulthood and that sort of thing. But there's something special about humanity that when we have children, we are doing it in a way of the image of God. We get to actually provide for our children. We get to love our, we have the wide variety of free will options to us to be able to raise our children. When you are in the animal kingdom, there are not a lot of options available to you. I mean, it's not like if your habitat goes away, you might be able to move on to another habitat, but you may not be able to find another habitat. And so you may end up dying and your, you know, your whole, your whole, uh, whole tribe could die. I mean, uh, how do I say this? Your whole species could die. I mean, this is why we have species that die out because they don't have the ability to think about the world and say, how can we protect our species like humans can? Humans can 
protect the species so that they will never die out unless they run out of food, water, air, oxygen, you know, food, and that sort of thing. But but we have also the ability to understand the world around us so that we can create enough food, water, oxygen, and all those sort of things. So that God told us, he didn't just say be fruitful and increase in number, but he said be fruitful and increase in number and subdue the earth. And by subduing the earth, we learn how we can increase in number. If you'd have told somebody even 200 years ago or 500 years ago that the earth could, you know, support a population of 7 billion people, they'd have looked at you like you're crazy. They'd have said the earth can't support 7 billion people. There's only so much oxygen. There's only so much water. There's only so much food. And if you take all the existing food that we have and you divide that by 8 billion people, we're going to starve as humanity. What they didn't know 200 or 500 years ago is that mankind would be able to figure out how to grow more food, how to clean up the air, how, I mean, all the things that we do. The doomsdayers of the world, and there are many, look as the world as a static point in time and says, okay, there's this much resources that we have and that's it. And because we have this many resources, all we can do is grow to a population of X. And once we reach population X, we're done as a species. But there's also other people out there saying, but wait a minute, how can we make the food supply go bigger? How can we use things like, you know, understanding the genetics of food and making sure it's hardier, you know, making sure that bugs don't come and destroy crops, making sure the droughts don't come and destroy crops. I mean, all that stuff. And it's amazing. And this is the stuff I wanted to get into in Genesis. And it's just many, many rabbit holes. And so <laughs> I, I just I wanted to, you know, go down some of these rabbit holes. And that's why I'm taking just a little bit of time to go down some of these rabbit holes. But there are there are people now. There there are um, there are ways to grow grow plants that don't use as much water that you know that we've always used. It's called aquaponics and hydroponics. It's ways of recirculating the water through the plants. Plants only need a certain limited amount of water. So how do they get that water? Well, we stick a plant in the ground and then we water the ground. Well, some of that water makes it into the plant. But the vast majority of that water, you know, evaporates or sinks into the ground. But with, you know, aquaponics and hydroponics, only the amount of water that the plant needs can be used. And so there are now farms, right? Aquaponics and hydroponic farms using very, very, very little water to create an incredible amount of food. And this is like the new frontier for for humanity because... Um, We've done just about everything we can to produce food in the ground. We've done laser leveling of the crops so that the, the amount of water that's lost is minimized, maybe even completely minimized. Um, I mean, we, but, but then there's this whole other area of hydroponics and aquaponics where you can even have um, fish and plants growing together that gives you a food, you know, a meat food source and a plant food source. And... It doesn't take much sunshine. Like, it, it would not surprise me in the world of food production if people had on their homes the ability to 
to grow, to get water and food and all this plant supply so that, they, you know, all the shipping of plants and, you know, making a food somewhere else that we don't, in my opinion, at some point we will, as a humanity, have each person kind of responsible for growing their own food. And why do I say that? Because as we automate through AI, right, humanity, there'll be less and less things for human, humans to do because we create machines to be able to do that. This is the big debate that we have. Do I want to get into this? I'll give you one little piece of this debate. One of the debates that's happening in the world is as we use artificial intelligence, what's going to happen to those jobs that people have done that are now being done by artificial intelligence? And as artificial intelligence takes over the world over the next, say, 50 years, there are going to be a lot of jobs that are going to be eliminated and maybe even the vast majority of jobs in the world can be eliminated. And it's not like we're going to create new jobs because all of the jobs will be you know, automated through artificial intelligence. So you have to ask yourself, well, what are humans going to do and how are they going to survive? And at some point, you know, we might as a society have to figure out how we can get through this next phase of humanity, which is you don't really... Like food is ubiquitous, water is ubiquitous, shelter can be made, you know, pretty quickly by by machines. Uh, and so the cost of each human living as a proportion to, you know, the, the GDP of an economy is just so low. So you've got people like Elon Musk and uh, Andrew Yang and uh, well, who are some of the other people, you know, thinking about the potential of, you know, how, how this is going to, you know, what's going to happen? How do we let these people survive when the, all the jobs go away? And I don't have to worry about that because I'm going to be gone in 50 years, right? So, but but I do worry about it for my kids and my grandkids, right? I mean, they, they, they're, this is the society that they're going to, that they're going to transition through. And so how are they going to survive? But at some point, humanity will continue to grow and then we'll get to, you know, we have to figure out, we have to subdue the earth in order to continue to grow humanity. What happens when humanity is completely tapped out everything on the earth? Like what happens when we get to, uh, we can't grow anymore because we've figured out everything about producing food and all that sort of thing. Then, of course, you know, people are thinking, well, maybe we'll, we'll ship some humans to Mars or we'll ship some humans to the moon. Maybe that is the next phase of humanity. I don't know. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we can't. God tells us just to be fruitful, increase the earth and subdue it. And, and when we increase the earth and subdue it, does he come back again and say, okay, you've done everything that I've commanded you to do? Or do we go and we subdue other planets around us? And you say, well, there's no way we could survive on the earth or on the moon or on Mars. But you're, you know, we're thinking with 21st century technology. What happens when we've completely understood everything about biological systems? And it would be no problem at all to go to Mars. And I mean, we could, what if you could take a day trip to Mars and spend the afternoon on the, on the planet Mars and have lunch, you know, and come back and say, it's impossible. You know, it, it's, it's not possible, but maybe we could subdue the earth to where we could have a day trip, you know, maybe it's an hour trip up to Mars and you have lunch there and it's an hour trip back. And you say, that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? Well, it's because we're thinking about, you know, two or three or 500 years in the future where people have figured out how to get up to Mars in an hour and back. I mean, 
This is all stuff that's probably going to happen. And then, oh, and then this is the other one. I mean, it's just, it just blows your mind. We live in the solar system, the Earth solar system. Well, how many other solar systems are there out there? Well, how many stars are there? Billions of stars in the sky. And each of those stars have planets revolving around them. And surely some of those planets could support life. And we say, yeah, but we can't get there. Like the next solar system away is so far away that you, there's just no way in the world that we could get somebody over to that solar system. Well, there's a couple different ways to do it. One is you could put somebody in a super sleep, right? You could halt their body production and then send them off. And if even it takes a million years to get there, if they're sleeping and they could wake up from that sleep and then they could populate other solar systems, that's one way to do it. The other way is, is, there po is it possible that we can do travel in ways that we don't even know about yet? Wormholes and all sorts of crazy things that science scientists have posited, posited that they exist. And maybe we figure out how to do inter-solar inter system, inter system planet you know, travel so that we could figure out how to get to other solar systems and and. And we, you know, you look at it now, it's impossible. It breaks the laws of physics. But we only know the laws of physics as we know them right now. We don't know everything about the universe. God said to subdue the earth. And we are just pricking the surface of what it means to understand the world around us. If you'd have told somebody a thousand years ago that we would have a thing, a device, that would let us talk to anybody in the world, who also have one of these devices that we could actually dial some number and talk to them, they would have put you in, they, they would have probably killed you. They'd have said, you're a witch. That's not, that doesn't work. Um, you are, you are crazy. Maybe put you in insane asylum, but, but we've subdued the earth. We've, we've understood so much more about the earth than we did a thousand years ago. And there are so much more of the earth and the solar system and the and the universe to understand and if we could understand that could we as humanity and is this part of god's plan is it part of god's plan that we in order to because we have to increase the number be fruitful and increase the number and subdue it can we get to the point where we could actually populate other planets throughout the universe and is that part of God's plan? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. But I like to think that it is because um, I, I have it and I'll kind of finish with this because I don't want to go down this rabbit hole much more. But I do wonder if in a million years or whatever, however long it takes, if we go down this path, if Jesus doesn't return, but we go down the path of learning how to do inter- solar system travel and we ended up populating the whole entire universe like we're able to populate and create earths all throughout the universe and we we get to the point where we understand everything about the universe is that at the point where we understand that there has to be a god because i believe there has to be a god when i in i'm a engineer scientist you know i'm a i'm a person who thinks deep thoughts about the world around us. And I just can't 
understand where life came from and where where the big bang came from if you know if it is a big bang like where did everything come from unless there is something outside of our known universe that created it and that's where i believe god resides god is outside the known created universe and once we've dominated once we've been fruitful and increased in, and and you have to be fruitful and increase in number because it is the only way that puts the force on mankind to force us to subdue the earth like these two things go hand in hand if we do not increase in number if it's just six people living in the garden of eden or four you know two people living in the garden of eden forever and there's plenty of food and plenty of water and all that but we don't re- reproduce then there is no force for us to learn about the world around us because we're living in paradise. But once God told us to be fruitful and increase in number, and this is a garden command, we're still in the garden, and subdue the earth, he put us on a path by which we have to subdue the earth in order to follow the first command, which is to be fruitful and increase in number. Um. And I just, I just wonder if that's part of God's plan is for us to really not only subdue the earth, but subdue, you know, the, the universe and increase the number in the universe. And that when we do that, when we finally get to the end of that, then we find God because we, at that point we say we've, we've subdued every, we understand everything about the universe. Now there's one thing we don't understand and that has to be God. And then God says, you're right, it is me. And then he comes and he brings us to live with him forever. And, you know, because there's so much about the universe outside of the universe that we can't possibly understand. Maybe God reveals that to us. I don't know. Anyway, um, this was the rabbit hole. This is one of the four or five rabbit holes that I wanted to go into in Genesis. And so um, I thank you for kind of following me down this rabbit hole. We have, oh, a few more. And then we'll finish this and we'll start another book of the Bible. But uh, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for creating us and giving us the commands to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. And um, Lord, it's the way you created us to really want to do this that is so exciting. So be with us today and um, bring us back together again tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.